Hello, and welcome to the Company Watch On The Spot podcast. I'm Adam Stones. I'm a data scientist here at Company Watch. Joe Kettner, our CEO, is away today, but I'm pleased to say we're joined as always by Nick Hood, financial and commercial risk analyst. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Adam. We're recording today's podcast on the morning of Thursday, 28th of July. Now, last, last time I presented the podcast on 31st of May, we talked about profit warnings issued by UK public companies and what they can tell us about the headwinds facing the economy. Now, on that podcast, we really took our inspiration from the quarterly report into profit warnings published by EY Parthenon. That was Q1 2022. I'm delighted to say that today we're joined by Kirsten Tompkins of EY Parthenon. Welcome, Kirsten. Thank you very much for inviting me. No, thank you. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, Kirsten worked for over 23 years at EY Ernst & Young, where she was Senior Manager and Markets Analyst, and has more recently worked for their strategy consulting arm, EY Parthenon, as Market Analyst and Content Creator in the Turnaround and Restructuring Division. She's the author of EY Thought Leadership Articles and Blog Content, providing market and company analysis. Most importantly for our podcast today, she's the author of the quarterly EY Profit Warnings Report, so we're absolutely ecstatic to have her on the podcast to talk about the Q2 report, which was released on Monday, 18th of July, 2022, and is entitled The Oncoming Storm. So thank you so much, Kirsten, for coming. Thank you. Um, When we started thinking about profit warnings back at the end of May at Company Watch, um, what we liked was that they gave a very current and, and grounded picture, really, of what was going on in the economy. So rather than the sort of macro statistics from the Bank of England or the ONS, it really sort of took us into the heart of what was going on at companies. Is that the kind of the same reason why you're interested in them at, at EY? Yeah. So we've, as you say, we've been tracking them since 1999. So we've been looking for a long time. And so from our point of view, we come at this from three different angles. So it starts at the company level. So I always say my day starts with tea and trading statements. So the first thing I do every day is sit down and look at what companies are saying in the market and looking for those, for those profit warnings. But then, of course, we can extrapolate those out into trends and what's going on. So we're looking for common threads that are going through those warnings and what they can tell us. And the important thing, as you say, is it's as close as real time, essentially, as we can get because public companies have to come to the market and talk about kind of what's going on, if they're, they're warning in the market. Um, so we get that kind of sense of what's going on almost in real time, much quicker than private company statements and much quicker than, say, government surveys. And then what we've done, because we've done this for so long, is we can look at historic trends, which I think we'll come on to later. Mm-hmm. So we can look at what goes on, profit warnings, what they can tell us about where the economy is going. But also then at an individual level, what a warning and what multiple warnings means for companies individually. Um, thank you very much, Kirsten. And I can see Nick nodding along enthusiastically <laughs> as well. Well, well, yes, because um, you know so much of the, the work I I do in commenting on the economy is is um, hobbled by the fact that so much information is out of date, and this is the joy of what you do. Is it really? It, it's it's really important. And of course, these companies, uh, you know, SMEs are are the engine of the economy, but you know, listed companies are at the forefront. They're setting trends, um, and they inform us about you know. Crucial questions at the moment, such as business investment uh, trends and, and and other aspects of, of the economy, quite quick to react as well. I think maybe a bit quicker to react than the SMEs. Yes, I mean you know, the SMEs public information is is really not their major driver in uh, in life. Whereas you know, as a as a former listed company CEO and C CFO, you know, you live or die by what you tell 
what you what you put in the public uh, domain. So on that note, then, uh, how are things looking? Q two, Q two, Kirsten. How? So if we, we get find? look at Q two, I think the interesting thing that happened in Q two. So before Q two, what we're essentially seeing is the supply side challenge. So it was mainly kind of cost and supply issues coming through in warnings. In Q two, we still had those cost and supply chain issues there. Uh, in terms of like companies citing cost issues, we had fifty eight percent, which was a record number. If we look at kind of a normal kind of quarter, although there, there really aren't many normal quarters, but in terms of on average, yeah, on average, say so you'd usually get about 10 to 20%. So this is clearly a really high number, still talking about cost. That's such but a big difference from the average. It's, it's huge. Incredible. And I think that really brings home what those cost <laughs> pressures are in the market. But what we also saw is that shift into demand as well. Yeah, that was the open question in the Q1 report, wasn't it? Was what would happen yeah. to demand? Yeah, and we're really seeing something like come through. No, it's more on the consumer side, I think, at the moment than trickling through into other parts. But there's definitely some push through. So when we look at the what was happening in Q2, we, we talk about the, the three Cs in Q2. So it was cost consumer because on the consumer side there was a really kind of heavy dominance of warnings on the consumer side and those consumer warnings were primarily as they were talking they're talking still talking about cost but they're talking a lot about confidence as well so we had cost consumer and confidence and on that confidence side we're starting to see more warnings come through from those parts of non-consumer sectors that do react to falls in business business confidence. So software and support services are the kind of typical kind of signalers so of those down, issues. Further yeah, down yeah. from the, the coal phase. Yeah. But it was were. definitely on that consumer side that we saw the biggest impact. That's really that's really interesting. So we might see much more to come, you know, further away from the consumer going into Q3 and, and later on this later on this year. Yeah. So if we're looking at um so a bit of insight into what's happening at Q3, we're still seeing the consumer warnings. But what we're also seeing is more companies talk about inventory. Mm-hmm. Inventory is one of the biggest themes coming through. So we've still got we've still got companies talking about a shortage, but then we've also got companies talking about too much. It's kind of that yeah. whipsaw effect where they've built up their inventory and then all of a sudden demand starts to fall off. Yes, yeah, so you can and you can tell how serious that is when Premier League football clubs don't have the latest kit available to sell at an inflated price to fans. Wow. Which was announced yesterday, I think. Oh really? You know, so really? that's the inventory shortage. Yeah. Um, and then and then you've got the surplus in other areas. I think that very much reflects what we've seen over the last few years through the pandemic. This constant push pull. Nobody quite knows where they stand, mm-hmm. you know, uh, very difficult to forecast, basically, and that's yeah, something that really yeah. came through in the in the Q two report. Yeah, and I think that's going to continue. So, if we look at what's going to happen into the rest of the year, and it's obviously really difficult to judge. There's a lot of moving parts in terms of what's happening at the moment, but that difficulty of judging, and particularly that difficulty of judging demand of what the consumer is going to do mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in that in the second half, what the impact of rising gas prices, energy prices is going to be on the consumer, and how that's going to come through. I think it's really difficult for companies to judge at the moment. And, and, and there's, a, there's a really interesting point that Adam and I were discussing um, earlier about um, you know, whether what you're seeing, you're seeing emerging through your figures is the end of the coil spring argument about pandemic um, savings. And I was making the point to, to Adam that unfortunately, I suspect a lot of those, uh, those pandemic savings are in the wrong place. They're they're in the wrong generation, the wrong demographic. They're Something else like that was in the report actually yeah. was that you know if you 
talk about people talk about the K-shaped recovery. It's very different in different sectors of the economy. It is very different. So if I can talk about another report we've put out recently, the Future Consumer Index, mm-hmm. that looks at sort of low to middle income versus versus higher income, and there is a a growing disparity between the the ability to spend between those groups. And this will create quite a significant differentiation for companies because they will have obviously difference in markets and they have to think about how they're talking to different markets. I think that's the thing at the moment. It really you really have to go company by company and see how are they reacting and, and what what pressures are they in particular facing. And that was very much what that's what actually led me to look at profit warnings in the first place was was trying to understand what was going on at the at the individual um company level. And there was a lot of talk in in the Q2 report as well about competing priorities, impossible, impossible choices that that companies were facing. So you know um, you might you need to have a more sustainable su- supply chain, but actually at the moment you're struggling to have any supply chain at all. And then you also try try to keep prices down, you know, in the in the face of rising costs and so on. So. Who'd, who'd be a, who'd be a manager? I know it's it's, it's, inc- <laughs> it's incredibly difficult, and we we talk a lot around that in terms of those competing pressures and trying to get your pricing right in the market and trying to get your message right in the market, and and that's where we feel. Well, we feel as if we're going to still see profit warnings because quite often when you see a high level of profit warnings, we've seen profit warnings run above average for a few mm-hmm. months now, expectations start to reset and then we might see a dip. But we haven't seen that at all sort of coming through into Q3. And I think a lot of that is just that kind of difficulty of where do you where do you put your pricing? How do you forecast? How do you think about your supply chain? What costs are coming through? There's just so many different moving parts for companies at the moment. This you can and you can really sense that in the when people are, in their trading companies are talking. We don't quite statement. know which way it's going to turn, do we? I mean, I think during the pandemic there was a huge glut of profit warnings. Of course, you've yes. almost got a free profit warning during the pandemic because it was you know so bad for everybody. But then we did see a big dip, didn't we? And, yes. and now and now it seems as if we're still seeing sustained. Not as high as the pandemic, but sustained high numbers of, of profit warnings. I mean, the, inter- the interesting thing is the you know you talk about the, the, the free profit warning in 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 the sort of first six months of twenty twenty, and uh, or first six months of the pandemic. And the question is to what extent that counts as a profit warning in terms of the. Uh, I think we're going to come on to that a little bit later, aren't we? The, the rule of threes. <coughs> Before we do that, would you mind if we just uh, take a bit of a, one of the things I really like about this report is the deep dive sector. Yeah. By sector, so which sectors are feeling the are feeling the the pinch the most at the at the moment? So as I say, primarily in the consumer facing sectors. So in terms of where we are so far in the year, retail is well out ahead. If we're looking at particular parts of retail, so there there is another kind of sector which is primarily around the grocery sector. That's the one that's mm-hmm. essentially got the highest percentage of companies warning, and really seeing that in terms of almost the entire value chain being kind of stretched and pushed there as well. The um, travel and leisure sector is an interesting one because clearly they've got a big pickup in demand, Mm. but the struggles to meet that demand and the cost of meeting that demand is is clearly triggering issues. They're not having the capacity to fulfil and and essentially the the rising costs as well. Do you think, I think as time goes on as well, we might see demand diminish in that sector? Yeah, and that's that's one of the sectors where we say like actually judging demand. If Mm. you kind of ramp up now, what happens when demand starts to fall back? I mean, I think travel and leisure is the, the ultimate sort of indicator of this coiled spring, the ultimate test of this coiled spring hypothesis. Because actually, I know I did. And in the case of travel, you know, people had savings set aside, especially for travel, because, you know, they'd had holidays and so on cancelled in the pandemic and the money was there. 
and now it seems that we're we're moving away from that to some to some degree. Yeah, and anecdotally from the industry, yeah, there's a lot of this was booked ahead. So you know what's going to what's going to happen come autumn in terms of that demand. So I think that's kind of yeah an interesting dynamic as well. The other areas I'd pick out are in um, financial services at the moment. So in consumer finance, we're seeing a, an uptick of warnings around that area as well, which is kind of one of the interesting ones to look at. But I mean, we can also talk about where we're not seeing warnings because I think that's also kind of interesting at the moment mm-hmm. as well. Yes. I mean, construction, um, you, you, you've touched on in the in the report, I've got a construction background and, and it is fascinating that the points you pick up that you know the warnings and the insolvency trends don't go hand in hand because of course you know the warnings are coming from the major players in the market and um, as i know from my my days you know, um, as a cfo with a major contractor the answer is there's a tendency to transfer the pain down the down the food chain and so the insolvencies come from the subcontractors and the contractors do very, don't do nicely, but do, but don't suffer as uh, as much. So it's a real trend to watch. There's, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, and the, and the disparity. We've got almost a record low number of warnings in construction, and then really high levels of insolvency. So if we're looking at that, I think a lot of that is down to so the quoted sector tends to be a larger sector. Those companies will have greater pricing power. They'll have greater power in their supply chains as well. So they won't be suffering as much from shortages. I think the other really interesting part of this is contract discipline. So the the, the companies have made a very big play after some high profile issues around contract discipline. I think that's going to be really tested as we go into the next part of the cycle. But so far, that seems to be holding in terms of we haven't had major warnings from contractors yet. And yeah, and that passing on of pain is an interesting part of it. And again, there's been a lot of talk in the sector around sharing the pain because obviously a failure of one of your contractors is a as you know is a major issue and how much pain and how much the cost is shared both with the customer and then through the supply chain is is a significant issue in the sector but but a real problem because of the you know the 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 dominance of fixed price contracting you know which is which is which is dangerous at all levels Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, One of the things that you talk about in the report is the the rule of three, which I think is quite a big thing. In fact, I think EY did a big piece a few years ago, specifically looking at the at the uh, at the rule of three, three profit warnings, and, and we did talk about it on the last podcast, which I know you were very happy about. Um, so, what what is that? What is the three warning rule? Yeah, so back in 2019, to mark our 20th anniversary, we analysed our entire data set for long-term trends. So it feels like a lifetime ago now to talk about 2019. <laughs> yeah, very um, different world. Yeah, it, very was a, different it was world. a very different world. And, and yes, it was, lots, of, lots of change since then, as I'll go on to. But in terms of what we found, there were a few nuggets in that you're most likely to warn on a Thursday and in oh. January. So... You know, in terms of like where your where those warnings are most so, likely well, to come, we know we know where to set our, our repeating uh, repeating notifications on our calendars. But um, yeah, so we also tested the rule of three. So people say, although there's one of the kind of the people people say in the market, oh, profit warnings coming three. Actually, they don't. Most companies will warn once or twice in a rolling twelve month period, and then that's it. But why we remember the third warning is because of the kind of the analysis we did, where we found that actually the three warning is significant because within a year of the third warning, around 50% of companies have changed CFO or, or CEO, around 25% have breached their covenants or been through a debt restructuring, 
20% were no longer listed and around sort of just over 10% had gone into administration. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of, it, that's why I think we do remember those kind of third and, mm -hmm. and plus warnings because they do, well, in, in our research showed that they do tend to trigger kind of events afterwards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I actually looked at some of our own data after, after what you said. I was seeing those, obviously not with the same statistical rigor that, that you did, but I was seeing those patterns come out. And uh, what happened to that during the pandemic then? We talked a little bit about a free warning. What did you see in the data? Well, in terms of like warnings, clearly we had more companies warning, I mean, substantially more companies warning, but because there was also substantial support in as well, and also an acknowledgement that pretty much everyone was in the same boat and storm in terms of like in terms of like what was happening in the pandemic we saw the number that went into administration basically drop to two percent so mm -hmm. so so from 12 percent to two percent in terms of like delistings from 20 percent down to eight percent so they was well really? below real below and Major if we look yeah. and if we look sort of in 2019 actually the figures in 2019 were running really high so we had eight um so 16 percent going to administration mm -hmm. in 2019 and I think it's important to remember that actually in 2019, it was that was actually quite a difficult economy yes, for a lot of companies. Yes, a lot of uncertainty around Brexit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there was a lot yes. of uncertainty, political uncertainty, yeah. and just like the you know lots of it. And resale was a mess in 2019. Uh, in terms of economic growth, it's actually been really quite flat over the entire decade, really in the, in the 2010s. Yeah, yeah. So. and and what we also say, and I sometimes forget when we kind of like through the pandemic. Is that we had a we had a high level of warnings back then. It was running almost in terms of percentage terms in a kind of recessionary level, because we had a lot of companies going through kind of disruptive forces in their markets. A lot of which are still there and then some mm, now. So mm. so that so it was a really stark comparison for what happened to the pandemic to what happened in two thousand and nineteen and beyond. But we're starting to see that rule of three come back now. Mm -hmm. and, and and any sort of. Uh insight into what might be happening at the start of Q3 because I know I know you're working on this all the time and gathering data as you were saying before yeah so in terms of like the pace of warnings um the pace of warnings still remains above the monthly average so it's still still running high in terms of companies who've warned three or more times in the last 12 months we're back up to sort of nine percent we've gone into administration within a year so we're kind of that rule of three is coming back and um <coughs> I did a little bit of kind of um, looking at my figures last night and we've got uh, 18 companies within a year of their third warning and 52 within a year of their second. So there's a lot wow. of companies who are kind of in what we'd call that danger zone mm -hmm. yeah. of, of kind of, of multiple warnings. And no sign of things really getting any better, Nick? No, <clears throat> no, I must, I must say, I mean, I follow these things anecdot anecdotally, mainly so we can do these podcasts <clears throat> on a weekly basis, but... I, I don't get good vibes um, at all about where where we're headed. I've so. never I've never known a situation like this in, in my lifetime, and and I think you have to go very far back before we see something that that looks like this. You know, you've got very real prospect now of a recession, very low economic growth, and also this this inflation which seems to be back. And, and yes, yeah, so and when you see what's happening with the with the public sector. Um, strike warnings, you know, there's every prospect that wage inflation will spin the cycle, continue, continue to spin the cycle. And, and long-term inflation, I mean, I, I go back 
far enough to remember inflation in double double digits for extended periods of time. And it's a deeply unpleasant experience and, and one which a lot of people, I mean, managers aren't used to it, consumers aren't used to it. People in general are not used to it. Very easy to forget about, isn't it? In the good times. Yes, and of course, of course, we're staggering into stagflation, aren't we? I think it's really interesting that in the in the in the profit warnings are clearly showing a hit on consumer confidence, and that this time around we seem to be seeing a real fall in in household incomes. That that you know that was something that we weren't absolutely sure we were going to see in the nineteen seventies. Actually, I think I think. Uh, Wages kind of kept pace quite well with yes, inflation. And I'm not breaking, sure that's breaking going to happen. The cycle is very time. difficult. But, yes. but you see, you wonder, thinking about the macroeconomics of what's happening now, um, you know, you wonder what is the impact of news bulletins um, yesterday and newspaper and social media comment talking about energy bills at £500 a month in January. Now, what does that do to the spending intentions of the vast? bulk of people you picked this out in the report didn't you yeah in terms of like you know uh, uh, yeah big ticket items and that's where we're seeing kind of kind of issues generally around kind of you know the the, the most kind of pullback is, is kind of in that kind of big ticket area and yeah in terms of consumer confidence it's just yeah it, it's, it's, it's repeated throughout kind of consumer warnings yeah and, and what you haven't got at the moment uh, again i'm going to be faintly political but very only very briefly is what you haven't got is a steady, solid message from somebody that people trust to say, whether it's true or not, it's going to be okay, we're going to sort it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is all about behavioural. There's a uh, there's a wonderful journalist at the FT called um, Gillian uh, Tett, who, um, talk, who is a behavioural psychologist, but also a great journalist. And she talks about how important it is to shape behaviours by managing macro and, and, and micro economics, and we're, at the moment we're wallowing. People have no reason to, to be positive, and so what are they going to do? No, no, no one seems to be taking a grip. We've got no Volcker from the, from the 1970s, <laughs> you know. So um, actually, I just wanted to make a, a brief point to finish from your report, Kirsten. I thought there was one paragraph that really stood out to me by um, Alan Hudson, so the EY partner and head of UK and Ireland, Turnaround and restructuring strategy, and and in his uh, in his introduction to the report, he he said, "What differentiates companies in such a difficult environment is their resilience to shocks, their ability to flex, adapt, and make the most of opportunity, and their ability to understand their own business, read changes in the market, and take prompt and informed decisions." And I thought that was really good, and basically based on what we've touched on, that the idea that you know you really have to go company by company to see the individual set of pressures and how these factors that we've talked about today really play into the into the particular companies. Yeah, and I think if we're looking at, and I think there's been a couple of really good articles on this recently, in terms of you can't judge on what happened before as to what happened in the future. Mm-hmm. A lot of the old models are broken down, both in kind of economics, but in terms of how consumers behave. And you know, in terms of what's what's happening and, and where kind of preferences are going to go and how behaviours are going to be, so I think it's really important that companies do have a really good grasp of what's going on in their market and do have that ability to move quickly. Because we've seen in the last, I mean, if we go back to 2019, if you look at just all the things that have happened mm-hmm. since 2019, all those events, it? I know it's, it's mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, to think you can't keep up with it. Yeah, exactly. So you've got to have that ability to flex and and move. Yeah, and, 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 there, and there is, I think, one other point that comes out from 
your report and I'm picking up more and more um, comments on social media and economic commentators and business uh, pundits is cash or cash is becoming a problem in terms of credit availability, lending capacity. And so it brings out, and you mentioned it uh, in various places in the report, very important now for businesses to have uh, to have a positive cash culture. Yeah. I think it's just really a reminder of the granular nature of risk. And, and that's something we talk about all the time at Company Watch. You know, we've discussed today, there's a huge array of headwinds in the economy facing companies, rising costs, the costs themselves, the uncertain demand caused by the cost of living crisis, so a squeeze on margins, you know, and really depending on the company, issues around supply chain, inventory control. It's a fast-moving situation. We will be releasing new tooling at Company Watch very shortly to help our clients think about how resilient the companies that they do business with are and, and really how they might fare under various scenarios, some of which we've touched on today. So with that, I'd like to say a real thank you to, to Kirsten in particular for coming on today and making quite a difficult journey in. So thank you so much for coming, Kirsten. Pleasure to be here. Thank no, you. Th thank you really for that and for an excellent report. And I can't wait to read the Q3 report. Thank you, Nick, for coming. It's my pleasure. And finally, I'd like to thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.